Hey, welcome to the Buzz Podcast. I'm Mark Heider, and we're here at the QRM headquarters at the Hive, and we're Hive talking. And today, we're spending the day talking about Section J. You like that? <laughs> you like that? I, I did it for you, Stacy. <laughs> so today with me, I have Stacy Hallisey, QRM Senior Vice President of Integrity and Quality Improvement. Welcome, Stacy. Hello, everybody. We also have Megan Ustry, our Director of Reimbursement. Welcome, Megan. Hello. So this is one of those changes that's come up. We have a ton of CMS changes coming at us. And everybody's concerned about all these changes, and they rightly should be. One of them that we decided to talk about today, haven't heard as much chatter about, but I think it's important. I know you guys think it's important. We've had a section in the MBS Section J, 300 through 600 pain assessments for a long time. And we've interviewed the residents about their pain levels, if they've experienced pain or hurting, if they've bothered them asleep at night during activities. But now we have a new field, and it is... J0520, where you have to ask a resident over the past five days, how often have you limited your participation in rehabilitation therapy sessions due to pain? Does not apply. I've not received rehabilitation therapy in the past five days, rarely or not at all, occasionally, frequently, almost constantly unable to answer. What, if any, concerns do we have about this section? Well, coming from the rehab department here at QRM, it caused me great angst just when, how vague the question was. So my first thing was just even wrapping my brain around what do I think they're really trying to get? What is the intent of this? And obviously it's good that we're looking at pain and how much does it limit your therapy? And as we go to functional outcomes, really is this going to interfere with your ability to get a good functional outcome if the person has pain? I get why they're doing it. It makes sense to me as a therapist, but then my practical questions were, first, who's going to ask the question? Who do we think should be the best person to ask that question? I'm not sure I think therapy is the best person because it's almost like the fox guard in the hen house. So if I'm the therapist asking the patient, are they going to feel okay honestly answering me when I might be the one causing the pain to them? So it's like, are they going to really tell me if, if they're having pain? So that was my first thought. Should it be the MDS nurse or should it be nursing? What do you guys think? I think it's a great question. I think there's a lot there. When you call it the fox guarding the hen house, the physical therapist, occupational therapists are often viewed as the gatekeeper for them going home. So you always want to present your best face forward to your therapist, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm asking you about pain, are you really going to tell me about your pain if I'm the one who's determining whether you're going to stay or go in the nursing home? So I think it's a, a very valid point. Yeah, I'm not so sure that I like the idea of the MDS nurse always asking this question, but also nursing, they ask patients whether or not they're in pain all the time. We're getting that information, I mean, I would hope at least once a shift if not more frequently than that, because, you know, they need to document the patient's, you know, their pain scale before giving them routine or PRN meds. So I think we do have to have a designated pain interview where we go through all of these questions, but really it could be anybody, you know, from the nursing team. And I like the idea of somebody from the nursing team asking this question. So do you think it makes sense to add it to a nursing UDA? Absolutely. And that it's a, it's a standard question? Well, it yeah. seems like since we're routinely asking about pain and we're medicating for pain, the person treating the pain should be the one asking about the pain. You would mm -hmm. think that would make sense to me. 
And, and because it's a standardized question and the REI manual and the MDS was designed so that any clinician who is properly trained or any IDT member who is properly trained could ask these questions. It seems like repetitively asking questions, I don't know that you're going to continually get the right response of if the people are just trying to get through another questionnaire, another right. interview. Yeah, and you know, the nature of what we do with QRM, we're privy to a lot of clients' electronic medical records, right? We get to see all kinds of different ways of doing things. And a lot of facilities choose to have a separate UDA or form or assessment, whatever you want to call it, that addresses pain and it's completed once a shift or, you know, once a day. I think that's a great option. So we at least have the proper documentation to support what we're putting in the MDS, but also, like Stacy said, could be added to something, you know, that already exists. Well, my other just big picture concern about it is if I'm thinking from the patient side of the, if somebody asks me, how much time did pain limit my therapy? Well, I have three therapies. I have OTPT and speech. Which one? Do I count them all together? Do I say I had 15 sessions and I had pain for two of those? So I had two 15 sessions of pain, but I really participated the whole day, but maybe just not as much as I could have, or I didn't, couldn't do as many exercises. So my it's just a very vague question, you know, and I know it's wanting it from the resident's voice and the resident would never get that specific, but that was one of my concerns as well as how is the resident going to answer that question and is it allowed uh, to, you know, be untangled, you know, so to speak, is it PT, is it OT? I know you're only having speech therapy or you're only having physical therapy. Like, I think that we're going to have to live with some of the answers for a little while to see what that actually, where that takes us. Yeah. And so in, in the REI for the pain interviews, anyway, you are allowed to prompt them if they're unsure of what their answer, you know, should be in the particular scenario that you pose, you could prompt them. What, and by prompt, what do you mean? Ask CMS because it's in the REI. <laughs> I mean, what, what do just, they, whatever do they mean? Well, it's usual. Rethink the question, you know, and, and I think that kind of goes with something we'll probably talk about in a minute, but they're unsure if they had therapy or not. Like, oh, Mrs. Smith, you had therapy yesterday. When you were in therapy yesterday, were you in pain? Or did you limit your activity because you were in pain? Well, I really appreciate CMS's direction where they're trying to get the voice of the resident. The thing that concerns me is the type of residents that you see in skilled nursing facilities where one day is a lot like another and they have memory issues, frequently have memory issues. So how well do I recall, you know, how disruptive my pain has been and how frequently it's limited my participation. The other thing is the wording of the question. Who uses the, the phrase rehabilitation therapy? I couldn't even say it at first, right? <laughs> I'm a Apparently you don't use it. <laughs> so when we're saying rehabilitation therapy, do they understand physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy? Well, I refreshed myself last night before this podcast and I read it again. And it doesn't just limit it to that. It says respiratory therapy. It says any nursing type therapy services could be restorative services. But so my initial thought, again, I went to OTPT speech and then I went, oh, they think something else as well. So is that patient resident going to be able to understand what that really meant? And they're probably in their head going to think physical therapy. That's what most people, they wouldn't probably, it's all physical physical therapy, therapy, you know, and they wouldn't think that. I do think we will need to train who's ever doing this. If we just add it to a standard question and don't really train the nursing staff who's going to complete this 
and just understanding our thoughts and our questions or how to untangle that or how to give them the cues, I think we'd be remiss in not doing that. And I think a lot of times your natural response is to, if you get a non-answer or you, you know, the patient is not really sure what you're asking, your natural response is to help them, right? Yeah, You know, so I think, I think a lot of times we're overthinking it. How many webinars have we had? And we're like, back to the basics, get back to the basics. You know, don't overthink it. You can prompt them. But I think what we can't do is answer for them. Oh, well, you know, they answer that they have been in pain or that they have limited their activities because of pain. Oh, well, you never asked for pain meds or, you know, well, how come you've never told me or, you know, things like that. So I think prompting them, you know, kind of untangling that question, helping them determine what their most recent episode of pain was. And then determine that, right? was it in the last five days? You know, I'm going to be devil's advocate because when you say you can't say, well, you've never told me, shouldn't you be asking that? If they say, okay. yeah, it limits my, my therapy every day. Mm-hmm. Because this is more than just a, a checkbox. This right. is really should roll up into our cause and care plans okay. as well, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one of the reasons that I like the nurse who's providing the care asking the question because there should be some response there should be some reaction change to the care plan the timing of the therapy the non-pharmacological you know interventions they can do for pain as well as some of the pharmacological seems like there should be a response but then going back to that that question what about those residents who don't remember or don't recognize this as being ptot speech respiratory you know whatever the case is and they're saying oh i don't have therapy what do you do with that Because this is a resident question, right? This is a resident interview. What do you do with that? You know, I think that I I don't feel like we would be outside of the ARIA guidelines to remind them or help remind them. You know, if we know for a fact that they went down to therapy, we saw them in there, they were working with therapy or restorative or whatever it is. I think we can, you know, remind them of that and then help them determine whether or not they were in pain. If there's, you know, a, a documented refusal for restorative or therapy, remind them of that. How come you didn't go to therapy? I think this is tough. You ask the hard questions. That's what this is for. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, I hear what you're saying, but on a practical statement, I don't see a nurse who's filling out this form, stopping what they're doing, looking up, switching to the therapy platform, pulling up the therapist daily notes and looking for a refusal while they're interviewing the patient. I agree with you 100%. But, and I mean, it kind of depends on the nursing staff that you have, but I think, and just from experience, the nurses who are taking care of these patients on the floor, especially if it's like a skilled unit, they know who's on therapy and they know when they refuse. Devil's advocate. I'm doubling down on your devil's advocate. (laughs) (laughs) Do it. It doesn't say that I didn't participate at all. It just says limited. limited. So it might be, I went to the therapy gym and I said, I'll do this today, but I can't walk because of the pain. So it wouldn't show up as a refusal. It limited how much therapy that I could do, or I couldn't complete the exercises because of pain. So mm-hmm. that could also be marked and it would never show up as a refusal. Yeah. But- and I think it kind of goes to show too, that this, while yes, we do have to stick to the questions and the RAS says we can prompt them, but this warrants a larger conversation yes. than just the questions that are in section J of the MDS, right? This is the minimum data set. This is the minimum amount of information that we need to properly care plan and care for the patient. So the conversation with the patient, it needs to be larger. Unfortunately, I have a conspiracy theory. <laughs> Why am I not surprised? I've got a lot of them. <laughs> so my question, if we could just answer the question as intended, 
ask the resident, we take what they say, we prompt dig to actually do a cause and a care plan and treat the patient. That's but it always seems there's comes a punitive side right. when they ask something. So my brain's going to like, how can we get in front of those punitive sort of things? Mm-hmm. And my instant thought was, what do we do with the patient says I didn't have therapy yet we billed for therapy? Are they going to come back and say, that's Ooh, a fraudulent billing that's a great because you we're billing for it. So, and we know from a compliance side, if a patient says I didn't get therapy and it was billed for, we have to investigate that as a compliance investigation. Mm-hmm. So this is going to trigger those compliance investigations. It should, if a patient says I didn't get therapy and we know we billed for it, that takes us down a whole other path, which mm-hmm. I think is an unintended consequence Sure. We both need speech sure. therapy. I just yeah. could not say unintended. unintended. <laughs> but I think it's an unintended consequence of this. I don't think CMS had that in mind, but I really do think we're going to have to investigate those if the patient says I didn't get Because how would we know? I agree. And I think it goes back to really anytime you do an interview and you get a response that maybe you weren't expecting or a response that you know doesn't quite make sense, documentation, whether or not that actually is going to happen, I don't know, but it would behoove the nursing staff and therapy to document that response. Absolutely. And and I'm glad you brought that up with the unintended consequences, Mm -hmm. because I don't think people are fully thinking through this. And I don't think that the, the consequences are actually considered in full when CMS writes these. So the scenario I was thinking as you were talking is, what if I'm in a, a skilled nursing facility that, that frequently brings in orthopedic residents post-surgery? Every single one of them is going to have pain limiting their participation in some matter. I can't walk any further. I can't get out of bed without more assistance. After you know 35 minutes, I'm done. I can't tolerate anymore. So that could happen every single day to most of their residents. So is there a consequence to this? doesn't seem to be anything tied yet, but maybe the, the key is, is that being acknowledged in the interdisciplinary notes? Is there something in the care plan to respond to that pain? What is our response to the answers that our residents are giving us? It, just on a completely other side, it made me think it's, it's a good time to have a, just a general re-conversation about, not another word either, re-conversation. <laughs> we revisit our conversations about pain and the non-pharmacological interventions. And if we truly want that, what does that look like, you know, as we're setting up the space for our patients and the residents and skilled nursing facilities? And we all think of non-pharmacological pain as maybe ice, maybe heat, but even on the therapy side, is it stretching? Is it, you know, general range of motion? But there are some crazy ones we don't even think about, but stress can exacerbate the pain. And if we have a loud, noisy environment for our patients and they're not sleeping because they're not getting through that good sleep cycle and it's just the noisy environment, the overhead page system going off. It's like, no, let's let's bring that back. This stressful environment and the chaoticness of it, bring that back. Is it a comfortable enough bed? We're all, probably some of us in the, who are listening to this podcast travel or travel for work and we go to a hotel and we're like, oh my God, the pillow is terrible. It's always and the then, pillow. <laughs> and, then, and then you're in pain the next day and you don't function as well as you could have. So what are we doing with all that to help reduce the pain for the patient? So I think it's a good time to just have those conversations about it while we're figuring out how to code this or if there are any unintended consequences of it. Absolutely. So let's wrap this up. Your best words of advice, Megan, 
your best words of advice? I like that the REI manual has allowed us with this particular item set to prompt the residents and help them work through deciding whether or not you know, they were in pain in the last five days with all of those items. My best word of advice is use prompting. Okay. Use prompts. Stacy, best words of advice. Really from a practical approach, therapists communicating with nursing, if their patient is in pain, let's try to get in front of that and make sure that they are medicated before they come to therapy. We know that that's a, a best practice so they can participate. And for therapists to document, again, documentation solves a lot of problems, but if they are refusing because of the pain or are having a great participation and it's not interfering at all, that good documentation will support why we build the claim as well. Love it. So it goes back to those care basics. So thank you very much, both of you, for spending some time with me today. So we're going to wrap this up. Thanks for joining us on the Buzz podcast. So y'all come back because we'll keep talking.